the European women are starting to dominate. And the reason is not because they're, they've started or they're doing anything too much different. Those are football cultures. So in America, the girls have dominated because many of the European countries haven't taken the women's game so seriously. Mm-hmm. But the reason that they've done this giant jump forward instead of incremental is because they're football cultures. So those women and young girls, whether it's in European countries, many of them, Spain, France, all of them, right? Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sporting Global Podcast. And today, today I'm here all, uh, with Tom Beyer, all the way living in Japan. How are you, Tom? Great, Ole. It's, uh, it's great to be here um, from uh, Tokyo, Japan, which is my home for nearly 36 years. Uh, that's awesome. But but I mean, like you, 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 you are from New York originally. So there's there's a lot of stuff we have to tap in. First of all, like how you ended up in Tokyo and like all this stuff. But uh, I'm super excited to have you here. Obviously, you know, it's, you have a vast experience. And I think, you know, for those that are tuning in now, it's, it's going to be, you know, a really, you know, dig deep dive into like your career, your experience in the sport industry. And, and you've done a lot of different things, you know, throughout your, your, your vast career, you know, from coaching, like you've been uh, on some of the, you know, biggest uh, TV shows as well, like in Japan, uh, you know, a lot of cool things that are happening, you know, obviously. And I mean, I'm just ready to kind of like, you know, just soaking everything in and kind of like, you know, take this podcast episode on a complete journey, you know, so you know, if you like this journey, you know, if you think this is some insightful, make sure to like the video, subscribe if you haven't already as well, and write a comment as well about like, you know, what do you like the most about this episode? And with that, Tom, uh, you know, I think we're just gonna dive from the beginning, like take us a little bit through like how your career in the sport industry began. Sure, you know, I'll do that by maybe sharing my screen first, cause I wanna, I've got a, a nice little presentation and just give me the feedback. I think you can see it. Awesome, Great. yeah, it works well. Okay, well, probably the easiest way to tell the story is I was born in the Bronx in New York City um, and moved upstate New York. My dad was in law enforcement, became a police chief in a, in a rural area in upstate New York. And um, so I went to high school, I went to elementary school, junior high, high school, and I went to community college down in the lower hand corner. And that right. community college, believe it or not, was a very strong perennial national champion of football, soccer, as they call it in America, uh, for, for, for uh, two, two years, the previous years I went there. So it was a very, very well-known college in the United States, and we just happened to be national champions. So I went there, and then I got a scholarship and went to the University of South Florida. So that's kind go. of my short story of my career, my life in, in, in America. Yeah, and I guess like, you know, uh, USF as well has, has a really good, uh, you know, sports program, not only like from a, from a collegiate athletic standpoint, but also now on the, on, on the business side, which is also very interesting. I think they were one of the early adopters too of sport management, which is, which is obviously very, very interesting. But take us a little bit to sort of like uh, your, your progress, you know, from, from University of South Florida and sort of like, I, I guess, you know, all the way to like your Tokyo, Japan, lifestyle and journey because I, I mean yeah, like been there for a long time but just take a little bit through like you know going through that bubble like into like you know taking that step as well moving there and and uh, and, and living there now for so many years 
Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, I grew up playing football or soccer in America during a kind of a, a difficult period because our professional league called the North American Soccer League right. had, had folded collapsed mm. in like the early 1980s so right the, the short version is i wound up involved in japanese football because my community college head coach who was hungarian from yeah. europe he he knew someone over here in japan who was a dutchman by the name of of, of hans oft right. and hans oft had become the national team head coach of japan so he's very well you know, regarded here. And I got introduced to a team um, in Japan, Hitachi hmm. uh, FC, which is uh, one of the founders of also members of the J League as well. Yeah, yeah And it. so I got into playing. I wasn't, you know, tearing it up somewhere. I was just kind of an average player, to be honest right. with you, but I, I got my way in, in, into Hitachi. Yeah. Um, but then I, I, I didn't last too long there. But, and then afterwards, I wanted to remain in Japan, so I quickly got into kind of coaching. Right. Um, so I made that transition from uh, player to coach quite quickly. Right. Um, but then I, I kind of, I, I kind of uh, specialized in technical training. So I'm, I'm really a technical coach. Right. And there's a difference between being a technical coach and being a coach that coaches teams and and performs on a weekly basis. Um, right. I've done that as well, but yeah. my I'm very well known as a technical coach. And I guess like, you know, just just from a you know culture standpoint as well, like sort of like making that decision of of going to to Tokyo and Japan, just you know, it, it's a big step for a lot of people. Just take a little bit about like I, I know it's like you know, been you know, now you're you know practically <laughs> you know local, but but in a sense, like just just uh take it so you're like uh I guess like your thought process and I guess like some of the things that you learned uh, from like just embarking a new culture and a new lifestyle from like your your New York your like you know your your time at the uh, University of South Florida as well like how how was that process I guess well as you can imagine it's a bit of a culture shock right yeah. especially because you come into a country where you know if I'm making the transition over to Europe um right. It's much different because the language is it's much more easier to communicate with people um, but here out in asia whether it's japan china korea um because it's all based on chinese characters um it's it's, it's very obviously difficult to uh learn the language without studying it um and then also the culture just everything's different from the food to the weather um to the language of course yeah. um for a lot of the different ways that you even communicate, even if you can speak the language fluently, sure. there is a very kind of structured way of communicating um, here in this part of the world. So right. you have to really be adaptive. Yeah. Um, there's always that kind of uh, feeling like, you know, when you're coming from a, from a certain culture, especially in, in America, mm -hmm. many Americans think that, you know, everything in America is, 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 is being done correct, right? So they try to right. impose their culture or they impose their way of life <laughs> on, on different, you know, peoples or cultures themselves. But right. here you just have to adapt. And I guess I was pretty good at adapting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like anything, I think, though. But I think it's a little bit even more of a different transition to these Asian countries where the language right. is performed because you can look at the language and not, you can't read it. 
Right. But if, if I go to Italy, Spain, France, Germany, anywhere, I can look at the language, but I can read it. I might not understand it, but I can read yeah. it. You kind of so, like get an essence, right, of like what's what's going on, right? And I think I think that's a really good point. And I'm 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 like you know I know a friend of mine as well when I was studying in at, at another USF University of San Francisco. Um, so so she moved uh, to Japan a few to Tokyo as well, like a few few years back i might i might have to introduce you to you know uh she so she she works for twitter sports and and she she took the step like you know moving over there and 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 it was a it was a big culture shock for her as well like you know being grown up in in the bay area and like you know just just taking that step but i think she's enjoying it a lot it's been it's been a lot of fun of course as well but but back to sort of like your um you know coaching coaching journey like takes a little bit about like obviously you know starting as a technical coach and and it's sort of like one why did you sort of like choose the the, the t- technical route of it and and sort of like uh what was on the like i guess like your your coaching journey uh leading up to where you are you know i guess uh, 10 you know 15 years <laughs> for further down the line yeah so that's a great question so that's really the next slide here this fella here who unfortunately recently passed away, Paul Mariner. Um, He's one of my closest friends, like a big brother to me. He's a former striker of England. Um, And he got me interested in the work of the Dutchman, Will Kerber. Mm. Um, And Will Kerber, if you're not familiar with his work, most coaches are in Europe. He was kind of the grandfather of shining a spotlight on technical skill development. Mm. And he created uh, and basically filmed a series of videos years ago Um, back in the 1980s, I believe it was, they really took the world by storm because he trained young kids Mm. um, and basically made them into technical geniuses. So that was the birth of the Kerber method. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, so I I got very interested in that work. And there's a commercial side of it as well. And um, so I brought that program to Japan. Mm-hmm. I bought the commercial business to Japan. I found an investor. They invested heavily into it. This is kind of the slide of it right here. Right. And these schools, and these schools are um, are very popular here in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spun out of it about 10, 11 years ago, but I was the one of the founders that brought it here and I ran it for 15 years. It had a major impact on Japanese football um, right. because it, it showed shined a light on technical skill development. Um, and to this day as well and and I guess like just also like a a question popping up in my head here and and in terms of sort of like I I guess uh acceptance I guess in a sense from from the Japanese culture and people in terms of like you know uh, having someone from abroad you know coming and teaching them uh you know football or soccer as as you call it in the U.S. but but like how, how was how was I guess like um you guys and, and the project perceived kind of early like did it sort of like help you that you already played there a little bit like sort of like first professionally and then sort of like okay people kind of knew a little bit already who you were or was it sort of like yeah how, how was how was that process around that essentially uh, it, it, i started going around first after i got out of playing i started to do these what we call football clinics like yeah. events right and so i built a network up and i built a reputation up as well um and so i did that and that gave me the network to later on bring the philosophy Mm -hmm. so 
I brought the philosophy then and I'd already had a built-in kind of network to be able to go out. I was trusted, I was reliable. Um, and so that's really kind of, it, it, it was really a progression. I didn't just all of a sudden, you know, like introduce this coaching philosophy. Yeah. I, paid my, I paid my dues. I traveled around right. the country. I've done, I've done literally to this day, thousands of events in Japan. Right. So after I established myself as kind of a credible football clinician, so to speak, sure. um, it was much easier to, to introduce that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's really been all about uh, improving the individual player much more mm -hmm. than the team. Mm -hmm. um, a different pr approach to football development um, right. where you, you know, technical skill foundation is really the foundation of what you build all the rest of the, the game on. Right. So ensuring that that foundation was set strongly because most countries in the world, um, a majority of children who play football are technically poor. They're not that right. good. So Japan does the characteristic of, 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 of Japanese football is that they're very good technically. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, it, it is a very important uh, question here as well in terms of actually, uh, as, as you were talking about here is, is like, um, you know, and I remember a lot of back to like my uh, early coaching days as well without, you know, being any, anything close to your experience and, and, and all, the, all, the, all the massive experience you've been through. Um, but, but I remember a lot of like sort of like taking over like a team with, uh, you know, boys of like 12 to 14 year old so it's essentially that time right where you're going into the big field uh you know things are you know more serious right and i was taking over this team and i was like first thing i was thinking is like your technical level is is not good enough like i have to like i, I had to like probably the first six months i used on like just training the foundations you know because if you like if you can't take take a ball you know in like and and, and move it like how are you going to make a play out of it? You know? So it, it was sort of like going down to the foundation. I was remember like, this is extremely key, you know, because it just trickled down to whatever else you're, you're sort of like working on. Um, and, and, and yeah, I remember like a lot in, in terms of just building that foundation. Right. And then I think like, you know, um, especially in grassroots too, it's, it, it's easy to sort of like overlook that, but I think it's also because, you know, uh, I don't know how it is, you know, how it was like in, in, in your coaching days in, in, in Japan and everything, but like, especially in Norway, it's very like, you know, grassroots based. So it's a lot of, you know, parents, volunteers, you know, being coaches. So you, you, you almost like end up being kind of lucky of like, who do you get as a coach of like, well, how much experience they have and sort of like, what's their level and their focus. Right. So I, I took over a team where, you know, it's always been like, you know, parents, you know, just letting them play you know doing their thing which is you know good and as long as they have fun right which is a key element but when I was coming in there I was like okay I have to learn I have to like start and teach them the basics if they don't know how to you know pass a ball or like take take the ball in then we can't do all the other cool stuff that we want to do we, we got to start with the basics how was how that for you in Japan and and sort of like um I, I guess like coming in there, uh, the technical focus, like how was that accepted? And, and what was the, I, I guess like it changed a lot, you know, for, from where it is today, but like, especially in that early, early time, like adapting this culture into, you know, technical training. Well, it's about awareness, right? It's about, you know, educating people. This slide that I have up here now, Go for it. think of all of these different 
I call them delivery mechanisms. Yeah. We, we used all of these different mediums to communicate with people. Right. We used animation. We used football schools. We used the internet, uh, events, television, newspapers, magazines, as in football magazines, manga within, which is comic books. It's a very big pop culture, comic book um, uh, culture here. Products. When I say products, the old days, VHS videos, DVDs, today, those would be apps. Right. We used all of these successfully to deliver the same relentless message over and over again. That message, yeah. if you want to be a good football player, it all starts with the technical component, period. So when you make that kind of stake in the game and you basically ensure that people understand, especially at the entry level of football, that football is an extremely technical game, mm -hmm. um, which unfortunately... I hate to say this, takes a ridiculous amount of practice time to become good at it. Right. So unless you start early, um, it's very difficult, not impossible, right. but very right. difficult to become a top footballer if you start later on yeah. at an older age. And I'm talking about, you know, anything above maybe 10 or 11 years of age. That's a very, very late start for playing football. So that's where I basically made my biggest impact here in Japan. Um, but it's really now I've shifted gears. I mean, I could show you, you know, I just want, for example, just even this little clip, I'll just show you a few seconds of it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, I, I went around Japan for 20 years and I held these huge events all over the country, basically empowering children to practice on their own. Yeah. That's awesome. Every weekend, different cities. Somewhere in Japan. <laughs> okay. So, and then it, 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 you know, I've worked with on World Cup. You know, Japan had the World Cup in two thousand two. I mean, it was kind of like the perfect storm here in Japan. Yeah. I'd I'd stopped playing. I, I introduced that curver methodology in nineteen ninety three. In 1993, the J League, our professional league, was launched. In 1993, the Japan Football Association put their hand in the air to become the hosts of the World Cup 2002. So football was everywhere, man. Right. I'm doing right. events. You know, I'm doing events with you know some of the great greatest players in the world. Um, I That's mean, amazing. this has been this was my life for for many 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 years, right? Working with different brands, confederations. That Oliver Kahn. I'm seeing there. Say again. That Oliver Kahn I'm seeing there? That yeah. was, that was Oliver Kahn, that's right. So, I mean, I've, I've worked with lots of players. I've, you know, been very blessed and, and fortunate. Um, Zinedine Zidane, David Beckham. I mean, I've worked with a lot of these guys, right, over the years. Yeah. So I also understand, I have a kind of an interesting skill set. Um, usually if you go into football, you're a coach or player, you're an administrator. But I understand the marketing side of football. I understand the communication PR side. Right. I understand how to create content. Yeah. Um, I was casted on, you know, I understand events. That's a, that's a specialty in itself. Event right. management. Yeah. Um, understand television. Cause I was on TV. I've written scripts for TV. I've appeared in them. I've directed them. Right. So, you know, I'm not saying this to kind of blow, blow my own horn, but I've been very, I have a very, very interesting insight into football and I'm able to connect dots probably right. better than most. So I can sit in a boardroom with the CEO of the Volkswagen group in China and convince them to build a strategy around my grassroots initiative. 
because mm -hmm. I know that I speak the language and I know how to prepare a proper presentation right. for a mass organization or, you know, convince a sponsor to come in and sponsor a television show that I'm involved in. Right. So that's that's a, that's pretty powerful when you understand the different moving pieces and what I call the football ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just, you know, I've been able to, you know, walk in and convince the, the president of Domino's Pizza to sponsor uh, this program that we had for, I think it was five years into grassroots, where we would actually do an event. And I came up with this idea that we would take a break during right. it. And this like parade of, of little scooters would come along and deliver pizzas for everybody to eat That's during awesome. the break, right? That's a so, great you know, marketing just, initiative, yeah. yeah it's just, you know, and you learn and you figure out because first of all, you have to survive. Yeah. Second of all, you have to be very creative. Third, you also have to make, it has to make business sense for the brands or the sponsors right. because sponsors are interested mostly on quantity more mm -hmm. than quality. And what I mean quantity is you're looking at it, these enormous events with, with hundreds of children, right? Right. And work with Canon as well, Canon cameras. This, and this picture is interesting because that person in the yellow mm -hmm. is, a, is a woman. Right. Um, her name is Takakura Asako. And she worked with me for a couple of years, but then she also went on to become the head coach of the Japan women's under 17 national team. And she took the team to Costa Rica and she won the world cup. Mm -hmm. And she's also coached in uh, the senior world cup. Uh, she's coached in the Olympics. So I've been able to see also that transition between a young player coming up to becoming a coach and being a junior coach and then going on to win world cup tournaments. Right. So right. It's been it's been a, 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 a big long trip for me. I'm just going to cruise through some of these pictures <laughs> instead of talking. Yeah. Also, have worked with young girls on the left hand yeah. side who show up in my event, um, who then and come to our schools and our camps, and then she goes on to captain the Japan national team, and she's a World Cup champion as well, 2011 versus US. She's also got an Olympic silver medal. I've got all her medals on. So <laughs> you know, seeing that as well, seeing what it takes from a young child, from a young age and grassroots and seeing that transition, seeing what kind of training they do, seeing what kind of personality they are, right. seeing you know, what kind of values they have. So I feel like I have a very good insight into what it takes to become a top player or a top coach or someone in, in football. Right. Um, you know, so it's just, here's a little clip of at my school. These are just average children, man. These are not elite players, but you can see how they're ball mastery. Yeah. Ball mastery is king in football. Trust me. And, and the thing is, the reality is, is that the best countries in the world that produce the best players in the world, they win the battle at the entry level. Right. The rest of the world, the rest of the world often believe that the battle is at the elite level. They believe that they're somehow going to close that gap at the elite level but they never do. All right. So what I do, and I'm kind of transitioning now into, you know, again, these are things when pop culture, right? The beginning of my TV show would start like this, animation. Then I would present this one point lesson that went for 14 years, every Wednesday morning. So, you know, again, we're, we're able to, we're able to communicate with millions and millions of children. So all of these kind of um, opportunities I had, you know, right. filming and VHS videos, DVDs, writing books, writing for 
football magazines and, and having these like corners on a weekly or a monthly basis talking about the importance of technical development. Right. Um, Everywhere. Japan, you know, this is Japan's number one comic book, 1.3 million copies per month. I had two pages in that every month for, 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 you know, more than a decade. So, you know, using animation. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the first part of my long-winded presentation about a little bit about who I am and where yeah. I came from. Yeah. Because now if we shift into gears here, we can maybe talk a little bit, if you'd like, about my, my own philosophy, yeah. which is called, and the reason that I show all of that and I show this slide is because this is brilliant by Steve Jobs, right? You can't right. connect the dots looking forward. You can only look, connect them looking backwards. And that's what I did based right. on everything we just discussed. I had a complete different thinking and this is and this is basically the beginning of my football starts at home so that was that's kind of a little background of my playing career my coaching career that's brought me to where i am today mm -hmm. and as i have a very very strong belief that the best players in the world the best of the best and who are they messi ronaldo suarez iniesta neymar pogba lewandowski cruz um, Ericsson, I mean, all these players. I, ho I hope you want to bring in like in the reach name in right now, like maybe like Holland or something like that. <laughs> exactly. No, 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> and he's one of my favorite young players too. I mean, unbelievable players, it's, right? Uh, but when, when you study these players, you'll find that football started at home for them. And what I mean is, is that right. it started from a very young age, usually often even the ages between two and five, but here's the, here's the kicker. The parents are usually the underlying factor. They're the game changer. It's usually right. a father. It's usually a father, but it can be a mother as well. Sure. And I've studied this and I've researched it. So I'm not just picking these names out yeah, of yeah, yeah. No, for sure. So, and, and what happens is, is that when you get that early start, mm. when I say early start, most people will agree that football starts uh, when you join a team, I call it crossing over the line into organized play. Right. Globally, pretty much it's at around the age of six, six yep. or first grade. That's when you join a team. Well, right. here's the philosophy in a nutshell. If you can get a child basically comfortable with the ball at their feet and they've mastered the ball, they, ball mastery, they mm -hmm. become a wizard of the ball and they fall in love with the ball before you introduce the game of football to them. That's the game changer, man. That's the mm. game changer. And there's a bias that manifests in such a positive way because a child, when they show up to their first ever training session, they become usually the better players become the more popular players. Mm -hmm. They become usually the leaders of the team because the coach right. is going to ask the good, good kids to demonstrate. So now a little six or seven year old is getting the opportunity of leadership from a right. young age. And that self-being, that self-confidence, it's got everything. So I wrote a book about it. And that's really what I do now is I go around and I spread the word. Um, and I, I basically shine a bright light on the opportunity that parents have to participate in their child's development. So that's really kind of what I do. I think you touched upon something very important here. Obviously, you know, connecting all the dots, you know, football starts at home and, and sort of like the logic around it, of course. But there's one thing here that I like heard as well, like just just at the end here in terms of um, helping, you know, the parents participate. And I think this is a very key word, 
you know, in terms of participate, because I think a lot of parents are also very like, always oh, going to be the, he or she is going to be the best in the world. We have to like, you know, do everything for him or her you know, in order to achieve that. To take us a little bit through like, you know, what do you mean about participating and, and sort of like, I guess, helping the, the parents understanding that, yes, you can, you know, help facilitate, but at the end of the day, like that inner drive has to, has to be there, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, in order to build that intrinsic drive into a child, sure. they, have to enjoy, they have to enjoy what they're doing. Right. And so that's the whole reality of it. So what I'm saying is, is that I'm not asking parents to become the coach of their kids. There's a big difference. Yeah. There's a difference between teaching and there's a difference between coaching. There's right. a difference between, you know, talent identification, talent development. So what I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to empower parents right. to be able to get their child off to a flying head start. Right. And again, what do I mean is that basically get them comfortable with the ball. So I'll show you some, uh, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about ball mastery. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here, this is my boy. Now he's two or three years of age. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the first and most important tenet of development for children is discouraging kicking. But that goes kind of, it's, it, you know, everybody believes that football is a kicking game. Mm -hmm. So they usually will take their kids out to a park and they usually will just start kicking the ball back and forth or they'll get in front of the goal. Right. And they'll start shooting at the child or the kid will shoot, whatever, whatever, whichever way, right? Right, right. So what we do is fundamentally different. We say, no, kicking is not the first technique that you teach. Mm. It's ball mastery. It's learning how to protect the ball from a very young age. But, you know, again, I, I, could, I could talk about this forever because this is my passion. But you also have to understand also the way that the football world perceives development. Mm -hmm. Many countries that have licensing programs for coaches, education, they right. lump they lump different ages into different phases of development. Right. So this is very important for people to understand. Most football associations in the world, they believe the first phase of development is between the ages of six and nine. Mm -hmm. They call it the discovery phase. And they build, they build the characteristics of a six to nine-year-old. And what they say is six to nine years of age, the kids are very clumsy. They have a very short attention span, okay? Right. And they lack motor skills. Mm -hmm. This is what they, this is the way that they, 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 they process it. Mm -hmm. So what they recommend is just play fun games related to football and just let the kids roll the ball out. That's a very, very kind of European kind of approach because coaches education, which really comes from Europe right. and more than, you know, half a century ago, I believe that the, the reality is, is that football hasn't caught up to what science already knows. Right. And that right. is, is that, and that is, is that skill development happens much earlier than they suppose it. Yeah. So we've got all of these antiquated kind of out of date coaching models that right. haven't really borne too much fruit because it's still, when you look at this 211 member association countries in FIFA, 211, only eight have ever won a World Cup. And it's the same repeat serial winners every time. Right. So when right. you look at what's happening in those countries, they have cultures in place that are very conducive to developing players mm -hmm. and much and more. But for me, 
it's as you know it's as clear as the nose on the end of my face that parents are perhaps the most important person in a child's football development and you find that and and you can see it you can just see it. and i've seen it with my own kids so what i did was i documented the development of my own boys right and basically for example what you're looking at right here okay this is really really interesting um I was very lucky because when I was writing the book, Football Starts at Home, mm -hmm. I got contacted. I got contacted by a fellow by the name of Dr. John Rady from Harvard Medical School. He's one of the foremost neuropsychiatrists in the world. Right. And he, he's done decades and decades of writing and 12 books about the power of people being physically active, children especially, and the impact it has on your brain. It supercharges your brain. Exercise right. supercharges the brain. So when I started showing Dr. Rady these videos of my children playing, mm -hmm. he started to unpack the process of what was happening in a very academic, medical, scientific way. Yeah. So yeah. when you watch this video again now, you'll see it, you'll see something much different when I when I'm talking to you. What you're looking at right now is you're looking at a child developing the skill of how to pay attention, focused attention. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when a child learns how to pay attention, that turns the powerful learning switch on. So what I mean by that is that when a child is very focused and they have that ability to pay attention, the learning switch gets turned on and basically deep learning and long-term memory takes place. Right. And what, what this does is it, it's basically, it, it, it's, super, it's almost like a superpower for a child. Mm. So when you think back now of the Messi's, Ronaldo, Suarez, Neymar, the Hollands, all of these players, yeah. they have an incredible ability to focus and pay attention mm -hmm. and absorb like a sponge in coaching sessions as well. Right. And that all, you know, that just doesn't happen by freak accident. No, no, of course not. Yeah. So, so what happened was, is that we started understanding the learning process much better. Yeah. So ball mastery ball mastery is a brilliant way of teaching a child focused attention because you have to understand wow. in the absence of a parent yep these videos don't exist oh yeah a kid will never practice like this at two or three or four or five years of age with nobody watching with nobody watching right so so basically that's the the knowledge that we're giving to parents of first you need to be present with your own child Right. You have to encourage the right things. It's not a kicking game. It's a more of a ball of manipulating the ball, mastering the ball, facilitating mm -hmm. a love for the ball. Because a lot of these young players that grow up to become star players, they don't necessarily fall in love with playing football first. They right. fall in love with the ball, right? So yeah. it's a different approach, you know? And when you look at, you know, these videos are meant to inspire parents. So this is my boy, he's three years old. And look at that focused attention, man. Look at how yeah, he's yeah. in the zone, right? And this is where you're developing that intrinsic kind of you know, ability because the child believes they own their own free time, they own their own fun, they own their own free will. Right. And that's where the magic starts to happen. And sometimes it happens by accident, more often than not. But now we can go through and we can start, you know, getting people engaged well how do we learn what is focused attention right you know what happens when you don't pay attention 
Well, it's very simple. When you don't play, it's the second line here. When we don't pay complete attention to what we're doing at the present moment, the brain activates a host of other synaptic networks that distract it from the original intention. Right. So I tell parents and coaches, you can bring the best coach in the world to a training session for a little eight, nine-year-old or mm. seven-year-old, but if they're not paying attention, the learning doesn't take place. It's right. the same thing in the classroom, right? Yeah. You can bring a world-class scholar, ed, a teacher, you know, teacher of the year to the class, but if your right. kid or my kid doesn't pay attention, learning doesn't take place. So yeah. it's kind of a, a different approach to, to, to football development. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, kind of what I do. And I, I do this almost on a daily basis. I go through and engage with parents because right. really I, I tell, I tell, and I, I do a lot of consulting with countries, with governments, sure, um, professional clubs, right. uh, brands, media. And so what I tell them, the kind of elevator pitch is, okay, you, your country, I work with countries like Singapore, you know, uh, uh, India, you know, a lot of developing countries. I say, here it is. Here's the pitch. Develop an army, an army of little five and six-year-olds that are skilled at ball mastery. Right. And, 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 And what happens is, is that when you develop an army of children who are masters of the ball, many of the other problems in football development cease to become problems because of it. Hmm. And that's the foundation upon which you build everything else. The problem is a majority of kids aren't technically strong on the ball. So hmm. they hit a wall. Yeah. So then when you get with a very good coach, the coach is trying to play a system, a tactic, a formation, something. Right. It, it's, only, it's only dependent upon the quality of the players, individual players that you can put into those systems. Right. No, but it was, I mean, like it was essentially what I was talking about, right? Like when I was kind of like realizing early that, you know, they were not, you know, technical good enough yet to kind of like, I, there was no point teaching them, you know, the, 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 the tactics and like how to, you know, play on the big field if they didn't know how to do the basic, you know, technical stuff, because that's, that's what's going to like make all the process that we're doing so much easier and, and better and more efficient. So you had to kind of like lay the foundation. And I remember like, uh, you know, just, spending like we spent several months just like you know almost like an hour every practice just like okay we have to get in many repetitions you know many touches Excellent. like we have to be comfortable with the ball and sure. when, and the result that we had throughout like those you know i remember like six eight you know also like throughout the full year yeah. it was like i think people were like amazed of how like we achieved right and i was like well, if you did this when they were like, you know, six, seven, they would be in a much better position, you know, but that's, that's how it is, you know? So. Absolutely. And, and, and as you, as you can see, right. Cause we've talked about a lot of things even already in the first, yeah. you know, 15, 20 minutes is that I, I basically developed this philosophy of football starts at home. But right. again, the, the way that I'm able to supercharge this whole thing and my uh-huh. messages because yeah. I understand media, I understand content, I understand brands, I understand, right. you know, TV, I understand, you know, how you create that uh, content and how do you deliver it? Because yeah. you, you can have the best message in the world. And, right. you know, if you can't get that connectivity, which mm-hmm. is key and crucial to anything you're doing, right. any new idea. But the other thing, too, is, is that I traveled around the world these last several years and mm-hmm. I subjected myself to as much scrutiny and ridicule as possible. And there's a saying in the scientific world that something that's new, which this is kind of new, I'm basically challenging 
the kind of status quo for yeah. football development. Yeah. But when, when you come up with something new in science, it kind of goes through three phases. First, it's ridiculed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Second, it's vehemently kind of opposed, but then it becomes self-evident. It becomes right. self-evident. And everybody just says, oh yeah, well, football starts at home. It's got to start at younger age, the role of mom and dad. Right yeah. now, most football organizations look at parents as kind of the problem in their kids' development mm. because, and they often might be because they don't understand development. They don't, uh, you know, uh, they, 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 they push their kids too hard. They don't understand how important the technical component is. It's like a musician, right? A musician, yep. right? If, if you don't understand the scales, if you don't understand do, re, mi, if you don't under, ha, have a deep understanding of the notes, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to become a really top, especially classical musician. Well, right. I tell families, you know, through these kind of anecdotal kind of stories, yeah. well, think of your child too. The, 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 the technical skills, that's right. the notes, that's the scales, right. that's the DNA of a player. So if you want to put a player under a microscope, okay, set up a, a practice where you constantly putting them under one versus one players can't hide when they're, when they're playing one versus one. And so you can, you can see either the, the lack of skill or the technical skill that they possess by putting them under that microscope, you know, and the great players of the world think of it, right? Neymar, Ronaldo, Alan, all these players, they're technical geniuses. Yeah they seem to have more space and more time than everybody else because that's what technique buys you. It buys right. you more time and more space because you have a better first touch, everything. It all comes together. No, know, it, so. it does hundred percent. And I think, you know, um, and, I, and I wanted to go a little bit into, you know, because we talked a lot about, you know, coaching the foundation, you know, starting at home here as well, but I wanted to talk a little bit more from like, a, like a business standpoint, you know, because you're sure. talking a lot about, you know, connecting the dots, you know, kind of like utilizing your experience um, and, and just sort of like built, like utilizing the time of building that reputation, you know, connecting the dots and, and, and understanding like all the mechanisms. Right. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're helping educating in a sense, a lot of young, you know, sport professionals, you know, future leaders in the industry that are coming in here and they're like, you know, passionate about football, they're passionate about coaching. They want to, you know, they want to contribute, but they're kind of like, you know, a little bit lost on the path here. And, and, I wanted to like hear a little bit of like your, you know, from a business standpoint and just, you know, making this into like a process, like working with Adidas, working with like major, um, you know, professional players, like take us a bit of true like that, you know, commercial professional aspect of the whole, whole of your journey, you know, because many can be like, you know, coaches helping like, you know, on there on the field, but it's, it's a different journey once you sort of like, okay, now it's a commercial process. Now it's a, you know, you got to learn, you know, the business processes. You got to talk with the brands. You got to get the sponsors. Like, it's, it's, it's a different way of thinking. Like, take us a little bit through, like, some, I guess, like, some, um, I guess, it's key learning points here and some some of, like, key examples you want to bring out that, that you think, like, these uh, young students and professionals can benefit from. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I had an interview a few months back and one of the and the interviewee asked me, uh, the interviewer asked me, he said, like, what would be one of your core principles for business? Right. And, and I, hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it, right. but I did very quickly. Yeah. And I said, well, you know what? Everything I've done in my professional career as either a football player, coach, a, a, a business guy, 
everything I've ever done yep. that I got paid to do, I would have done it anyway for free. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, that's very strong, powerful statement, right? Because first of all, you've got to find what your passion is. You hear that all the time, but people might not quite understand what that is. Mm-hmm. But I am so passionate about what I do. Yeah. I wake up every single morning. And when I wake up and I go and I do my routine and then I sign on to my computer or my social networking, sure. I'm almost guaranteed every day to have like a Christmas present under my tree. And what that Christmas present is, someone, someone around the world has contacted me and they want to know more about the business or the soccer starts or football starts at home program. So I, I've been very fortunate also to know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is, is if we go back to this first slide, this is a great story for any young person that's involved in business. I'm going to show you right here. So it, this slide right here. Okay. Yeah. So here's the story. I was doing uh, what before I, this is, that's a, that's that shirt, uh, the brand on my shirt. That's Milo. M-I-L-O. Right. It's a, it's like a chocolate Ovaltine type of drink that is produced by Nestle. Mm. Nestle Switzerland, right? So in the olden days, after I retired, when I stopped playing, I basically would volunteer and go around free to coach people, coach kids, anybody that listened to me, anybody. And at the time, my Japanese ability was still quite poor. Right. So what I did was I went around and I volunteered on U.S. military bases here in Japan, which there's a lot of. I volunteered at a lot of the international schools. So here's the story for everybody to listen I went to this school called the Canadian Academy, which mm. is about a three-hour train ride south in Kobe, Kobe. We call yeah. Kobe, but Kobe, 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 Japan. And I volunteered to do a coaching session for a bunch of international kids. Right. I arrived there. I do the coaching session. I only asked one child. I asked one child. I said, uh, hey, well, how long have you been in Japan? He told me a couple of years. I said, well, you know, what does your dad do? And I had no motive at all. I just said, right, right. Was, I was curious. He said, my dad works for Nestle. And that was it. Didn't think anything of it. Nothing. Okay. I went back up to Tokyo. Three-hour journey. The next day or the next couple of days in my apartment, and I had a roommate at the time, I opened up his Japanese newspaper and mm-hmm. I saw this big full-page advertising for the Milo International Football Cup tournament. I mm. thought, wait, that's a net. That's I started connecting the dots. Right. So, and at the time, I was kind of looking around to see how I could stay in Japan. I wanted to 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 get a sponsor to do exactly what you're looking at in this picture here. Right. So, the long story short, I called to the school, and in those days, you you know, you had to find people's phone numbers. We didn't have cell phones or internet. <laughs> and right. basically, what happened was, I asked the 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 coach. I said, "Hey, listen, when I was there, I did this coaching. When I did the coaching." So one of the kids said his dad worked for Nestle. He goes, oh, that's the Yost family. Mm. So he, I got the phone number to the house. I called that evening and the child answered the phone. And right. I said, hello, this is Tom Beyer, blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, listen, didn't you say your dad works for Nestle? He goes, yeah. I go, what does he do? He goes, he's the president. No way. <laughs> Where? So <laughs> then the father got on the phone and basically... Uh, uh, basically I told them, you know, I'm looking for sponsors, this, and that from that phone call, 
he gave me the name of the product manager for Milo, who mm -hmm. was actually in Tokyo. And again, the long story short, I contacted that guy. I told him that the president told me to contact him. Okay. I went in and had a meeting with him at the end of 1988. Yeah. And I literally walked out of that meeting, having agreed to doing 50, 50, 50 Milo branded events the next year in 1989. And that's what you're looking at right now. And I did that. I would go on to do that for 10 years. And I wouldn't even meet that president until one or two years afterwards. And that was my start. And if that, if I hadn't had that call or I hadn't volunteered to go down to do that, that yeah. event, right. I might not even be in Japan today. So, no, you know, you've got to take chances. You have to knock on a lot of doors. Right. You know, you, you can't even begin to imagine. We have a saying in business, right? Especially yeah. in the sales business. Sure. You throw tons of mud at the wall. Yeah. Most of it falls off. Most yeah. of it falls off, but some sticks stick. Right. Milo stuck for me. And now because of my best experience, I did this for 10 years, man. Mm -hmm. I did this. For, oh, my point was, is that I, I, I surrounded myself with people who could do things that I couldn't do. Right. And that's the key to business success. I believe is I have a saying that if you're the smartest guy or gal in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. So you got to find the room where you're going to find people who can do things that you can't do. So what are those things I couldn't do? Well, I wasn't fluent in Japanese. So how am I going to communicate with anybody? Mm. I found one of the only Japanese players in who had played professionally here who spoke English fluent, brought him in as my assistant. He's right. my interpreter. Me, I didn't have a huge playing career and neither did that guy. Yeah. So how are we going to gather people? Anybody say this American guy is going to show up to do an event. Nobody's going to come. So right. I went to one of my buddies who was a big Japan national team star, brought him in. Right. So I, I was clever enough to figure out and build a team of guys that could do things that I couldn't do. Right. And now, 36 years later, I'm here in Japan. I'm quite fluent in Jap Japanese. I'm trusted here. Yeah. I've had a huge impact on, on football development. And that's a lot of it is to do because I surrounded myself with people who were able to do many of the things I couldn't do. Right. So that would be my big. So now when I get, when I go and we'll, we'll go to that, that slide I just showed you. Yeah. Here. Um, so now when I go to into the boardroom, right. Of right. a, of a Volkswagen or a, uh, you know, AIA insurance or I understand. I speak the language now mm -hmm. because when, when I, when I, when I was working and doing those Milo clinics, oh right. man, I did everything. <laughs> we stored the drinks, the, the brick pack drinks were stored in, in my house, in my, yeah. in my, in my vestibule of the lobby of my home, the right. tent, we had this huge green tent with the Milo logo. Yeah. Those legs, those legs, it's a massive tent. Right. Those legs in the tent all stored at my house. Right. When, when, when we had to go to an event, I had to call the, the, the uh, shipping you know, agency to come over, pick it up. Then when the event would start at nine o'clock in the morning, myself and my team of coaches, we'd have to get out to the field. We'd have to put the tent up. We had to always stop on the way and buy several containers of milk because part mm -hmm. of the process was stirring the chocolate Milo in the milk. 
oh. to do testing, sampling. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I got this unbelievable amount of experience as a young right. guy. Right. Um, and, and I was able to see and understand. Then we had to write reports about, you know, and give it to the headquarters of, of Nestle. Mm -hmm. We had to bill them with invoices. We had to do our own PR and try to get, you know, newspapers to come around. We right. did everything. And that was my start. And so I started to understand the business very well, all the different components of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, here I am years later and I've got, you know, this presentation that I'm scrolling up and down. <laughs> it's 287 slides. Right. Because I understand m much of it. Right. And I understand that brands, if you work with a brand, mm. you have to guarantee you're looking at this picture right here. That's a room with 600 Chinese mothers and fathers in it. Right. Okay? So you have to guarantee to the brand that people are going to show up or else you can't make a business out of it. And right. you have to have a good message, too, as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so these are all things you have to be engaging. You have to, it has to be interesting for people to come. They want, they're going to want to have to engage with you. When I went to India, mm -hmm. people were worried that nobody was going to show up. My first event ever in India, check this out. This is what the room looked like. Okay. This was panic. There was no standing room anywhere. Okay. <laughs> so it, this is, you know, again, I'm not doing this to pat myself on the no, back. No, no. It's been many, 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 many years. It's taking me, close to four decades you know, right. that I've been in Japan. I'm aging myself now, but, uh, but I understand it. You know, I understand, you know, being invited to a, a conference where you've got, you know, some of the biggest players in development in the world. The guy sitting next to me on my left is the, is the director of the Dortmund Academy in Germany. One of the best academies in the world right now, right. you know, or, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm invited to Australia to present to, you know, a group of families or to, you know, I'm getting on stage with a guy like Paul Pogba from Manchester United and a World Cup champion from France. I mean, you can't you can't work at this level right. unless you know what you're talking about. And football, as you can imagine, hey, get this. I mean, I presented to FIFA, I presented to UEFA, I presented to Manchester United, to Dortmund, to Ajax, all of these groups. And that is not an easy feat to do with an American passport. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, so you I gotta, can't imagine like the, the Europeans are you know sticking tend to stick with their own a little bit too you know in that sense so, so what so my, my lesson is I'm trying to tell your viewers and young people is right. you have to become if not expert at least knowledgeable in your field of expertise right. so that you're taken seriously yeah and then you have to also be confident enough to accept an invitation to go to IAX and sit in their boardroom and present to them or, you know, to be invited in, you know, to the AFC, which is our confederation, and present to the 47 member associations, all of the heads of grassroots football development. Oh so, you know, for, for young people, it's, it's about volunteering. It's about working for free. It's about trying to get in as many rooms as you can with as smart a people that you can get in with. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I tell this story a little bit because... Um, I've been very fortunate because of my, my collaboration with Dr. Rady from Harvard Medical School, right. who's really just a, a rock star. I mean, yeah. I would be remiss not to just pull the slide up a, bit, a little bit about Dr. Rady right here that you will see. This is a man who is a world-renowned expert on neuroscience, um, and I was very lucky. So I'm involved in a bunch of research projects right now with a couple of really big university, you know, professors and, 
and researchers from universities like the University of Houston, University of Michigan, University of North Carolina, Stanford University, Dr. Rady from Harvard. Yeah. And, and what, it, what, it, what it is that they're interested in is not so much the football part of football starting at home. Right. They're interested in the cognitive, the social, the emotional right. skills that are being developed through this, this philosophy. Right. So the point I was going to get, that, that I almost forgot why I, I pulled this up, was because the saying that I have is that if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. So what I was starting to see was I was going around the world and I was showing my presentation to everybody. And you know, I was sitting there and I was getting pretty confident and cocky thinking, right. man, I'm, I'm the smart guy. I'm the smart guy in the room. But it wasn't until I started getting in the room with brilliant people like Dr. Rady from Harvard, uh, 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 Dr. Roselle from Stanford University um, and all these different smart guys and in Houston as well. We have a whole research team. There's, yeah, there's a yeah. group, there's a research group uh, in the, at the University of Houston and outside their door, it says Houston Dynamo, the professional club that I work with slash soccer starts at home research laboratory. And that's all they do. Awesome. And so my point is, is that then I started to get in the room with the smarter guys right. and I started to correlate things, you know, who would think, you know, neuroscience or education is going to have a profound impact on, on football development. But right. I'll tell you what, I learned more innovative, creative ways for football development through these groups, these academics Mm -hmm. than I did in all of my coaching licensing and all of my coaches. Now that's not to say that coaches education isn't important because it is, I, Yeah. but you have to be well-rounded. You mm -hmm. have to, you can't get on a set of railroad tracks and think that and have lack of, of lateral thinking, right. no matter what it is, your field of expertise of what business that you go into, mm -hmm. you'll always learn lots of interesting things from outside of your field of study or outside your field of business. Yeah. And I think I wish that I had learned that maybe a little bit quicker mm. than I did. Um, but, you know, I've been very lucky to learn many, many different things. So, you know, as the old saying goes, there's, you know, many roads that lead to Rome. And that's right. true. So never really believe that you've 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 learned everything. And I think that. I recommend to young people is just become a lifelong learner, right. a lifelong learner and always try be searching for that excellence. You know, that's a very unique characteristic of Japanese culture, yeah. of that kind of Budo kind of um, belief that you're never quite really arrived and it's about the journey and you're always learning and you're always in search of mastery, always in search of mastery. And I think that, you know, that's a good, uh, good uh, kind of uh, recommendation um, for, for young people and for your listeners in particular. I mean, like hundred percent. I have, I have like kind of like a lot of you know thoughts and like stuff that comes up here. Just, just as you're talking, and I, I don't want to like go like too much out of the scope. But I think one of the key things that that really stuck with me too is that because you talked a lot about um, you know speaking, connecting the dots, right, and speaking the right kind of language. And what I mean about speaking the right kind of language is is knowing what to say to the right kind of people in the sense of like, you know, what is, you know, Dr. John Rate, you know, like what is his angle, right? Like, and, and, and he, he's not that interested in, in the, the football side. So like, 
how do you how do you approach him right and i think that's that that's the very key lesson here that, that people got to think about is that um it's all about the angle essentially yes. in a sense yes. and, and, and they think and of course like you, you've been sort of like summarizing a lot of the things here of like you know um in, in a sense on the surface of of like doing all these things and, and i wanted to like kind of like if if we can just dig a little bit deeper into the the approach of angle because one uh and this is also another key point because again we're talking here a lot about you know sport management students like students that are like wanting to work in sports right and if you look a bit a little bit like of course european but also us where where, where people are like okay uh, i mean like i remember even like from like when i did my master and then it's like you know five six years ago in university of san francisco and i mean like we were all like you know 25 you know the 35 year old roughly you know and uh and I, like, I remember like in our first class and people were asking like, okay, what is your, what do you want to be? You know, when you're done, when you grow up. Right. And, and like half the class was like, I'm going to be the AD. Right. And the other half is like, I'm, I'm going to be the GM. Right. And so sure. I mean, like, it's great having those goals, but that's going to take you, you know, 20, 30 years before you reach that. And, and a lot of the people also in Europe, it's like, you know, they have like this dream, right. Which is great. I mean, like, I love having big dreams. I mean, like that's, that's how like sporting global came to life. That's how, you know, we're having our global goals, but, but it's sort of like the essence of like where people kind of like expect the, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go to this school and I'm going to get a job in Barcelona or I'm going to get a job in Real Madrid. Sort of like, I want you to just talk a little bit about like just that importance of, you know, starting somewhere in order to, end up with like Ajax, Manchester United, Real Madrid, like all these big names and, and players that you have been involved with through through your through your process, right? But you have to you have to start at the beginning. And of course like you got like that that Milo like Nestle deal and all this course because you you, you were connecting the dots and, and grabbing that opportunity. But you just talk a little bit about like that importance of you know if you don't get that internship at Real Madrid, if you don't get that internship at the Warriors, like it's fine. Like there's, there's plenty of other opportunities. Just you, you're, you're tossed a little bit around this. Well, I, I think it's, you have to, first of all, you've got to be knowledgeable enough uh, and, and not, not just knowledgeable enough, but you have to have enough confidence that you can kind of face the firing squad, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean is, is that what I did was I, I got a, I, you always get breaks in, in business and in life. Some things are just, they always come to you. You get bad breaks as well, right? You get bad breaks, you get good breaks. Um, and, and you just got to know, you got to, you, 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 you just have to understand that. And you have to accept the fact that you're going to have drawbacks. You're going to have things that you, you go backwards by mistake. Right. Um, but, and, and if there was one word, that I would, uh, I would, I would want to kind of encourage young people to think about when they're talking about business, it would be persistence. I am mm -hmm. unbelievably persistent. I have shown up many times to places where, you know, I was either rejected or they weren't interested or not many people showed up, but it never, ever, ever really kind of threw water on my passion, my fire. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but but that's because I have a passion for what I do. I have a passion right. for what I, what I do. So you have to, that first, you got to find that, right? What is that, right? What is that passion? 
that you love, that you're literally, literally, you know, we have all of these like sayings and everything and hashtags and, you know, right. I, I kind of use it sometimes, you know, football starts at home. That's the hill that I'm willing to die on, that, that, yeah. that I am willing to, to show the football world that, to, to, that that is probably perhaps the most important part of a child's development. Is yeah. that early start in the engagement with the parents and things like that. And not just in football in general, but it has so many other things. So you asked a question before about like, even with Dr. Rady, right? Like, what well, kind of, what's his angle? Well, what is he in it for? Right. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's not the football side. Right. And, but I'm going to show you one slide right here. This is what he's interested in right here. So this is a passage out of my book. Yeah. Okay. These aren't my words. These are his. So what happened was Dr. Rady, when he started to see all these videos of my kids playing inside the house and things, he started to break it down. So the cerebellum, that's the part of the brain that they thought was mainly responsible for only coordination, assistant, motor functions, blah, blah, blah. The new neuroscience, okay, they know much more about the brain now through functional MRIs and, and, and examining the brain's technology, blah, blah, blah. They found out recently that the brain, the cerebellum is responsible for much more. It's responsible for thinking, remembering, which is memory, decision-making, reading, controlling emotions, and another one to numeracy, single-digit mathematics. So when Dr. Rady saw, I remember listening to this. One, one time, when I talk to Dr. Rady, I sit with a notebook and I take meticulous notes because the guy yeah. is so brilliant, right? So he said something to me several years ago, right? Yeah. And I wrote it down. And, and I'll admit it, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't understand it. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't until several months ago, I, a couple months ago, I had an online Zoom call with Dr. Rady. Mm-hmm. And I swear, I pulled out the booklet and I read the line. And I said, Dr. Rady, I finally understood what you said. And this is what he said to me. I wrote it down. He wrote, Tom, you don't understand you have discovered the fountain of wisdom. And I had no idea what this guy's talking about. The fountain of wisdom? What are you talking about? Until I started connecting those dots and I started realizing that this is what he's talking about. Teaching a child through football, using football as a tool to develop that focused attention, which turns the learning switch on. Right. That took me several years to really put all the pieces together, take my presentation around the world, open myself up to questioning, rereading. Here's another interesting thing. When Dr. Rady wrote the forward and the afterward for my book, right. I didn't pay enough attention to what he actually wrote. I read it. It made yeah. sense. It was a little bit of mumbo jumbo. It was a little bit of neuroscience. And it was yeah. above my kind of my intellect, to be honest with you. Right. And it wasn't until I went back and I reread the book again and I, I focused primarily on his forward and the afterward and all the other stuff that he put it in. And then I started to focus much more my philosophy, my whole football starts at home, more around the neuroscience. Because I knew from a footballer, a footballing coach, you can see football Football is subjective. It, it, it's observation, right? I can see right. a player when they can do things, right? When, yeah. when, 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 when I could see... You know, the videos of like my, my boy right here, right? I mean, it just makes sense. when you, If you got a kid like this that so mastered the ball, this little ball, you can, mm-hmm. you can imagine at least he's going to be a halfway decent player, right? You, right. Can, you can imagine it. 
You can see that, right? But I didn't understand the neuroscience part, the cerebellum. I didn't understand. And so what I did was I went through, and this, this is why now all of this stuff is in my presentation. It didn't used to be. But then I started focusing on this part. Understand, again, this is from, the, from Dr. Ray, the learning process for the brain doesn't exist in isolation. Right. Benefits of stimulus. So I started to really focus on this. Well, why is it important not to kick the ball? Why? Because when you control an object with your feet, that's building, that's a learning circuit. And so I started understanding that much more. And it just, my whole philosophy just made uh, a much bigger impact on uh, because what, what we do, what, who's, who's my audience? We work with schools. We have programs in the Houston. We have an unbelievable research project going on in the University of Houston. Right. But in order to get schools to participate, they have to want to do it. And yeah. I can tell you this much. And this is what I said to a group of people from FIFA recently. I presented to a, a staff at FIFA. I said, unfortunately, football alone cannot stand on its own two feet. And what do I mean? What I mean is, is that when we get into it, when I get into a room, right, like this, mm -hmm. I can't just go to parents and tell parents, hey, put your kids in football because football is great. All right. Because what, 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 one of the major problems we have here in Asia, and again, that adapting, right, understanding the culture, one size doesn't fit all, what you do in Denmark, what you do here, what you do there, it, it's not going to fly in Asia. Right. So one of the big problems that I understood was that one of the problems in, 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 in Asia is most Asian families, they look at sports and football as a distraction to education. So they don't want their kids to play football. They don't want mm -hmm. them to be involved in sports. Right. They want them to be sitting down at their desk all day long studying for these grueling entrance exams, mm -hmm. okay? So they don't want, you know, so now we're able to sit down and educate these families and tell them, oh, wait a minute, hold on a second. No, you're missing it. Right. We can make kids smarter. We can make them better thinkers. We can make them better focused to concentration. We can make them, you know, better memory. We, and, and it's all connected. And that message, let me tell you, is far more powerful than telling a parent that you would just want the kid to play football because football is a great sport and it's the world's right. game. Yeah. yeah. So... This is a, just a completely different message now. So when I sit down and I go into markets or I go into places like here, I work with the, I work with the, the professional club called the Houston Dynamo. Yep. So they wanted to pitch this whole idea to work with schools. Okay, well, in order to do that, where did they bring me over? They brought me over to the director of education in the Houston mayor's office. That's her right there on the left sitting right. down. I'm presenting. And what happened from that one presentation that you're looking at, you see that colorful map behind the guy that's sitting there, that yeah. big map? Those are the 17 school districts. So then the Houston Education Department, they, they said, hey, let's start. We'll give you access to all our schools. So now we work with the Houston Independent School District, Fort Bend. We work with KIPP Charter Schools. We work with all of the different, because the educators, again, they're not so interested in the football soccer element. They're right. interested in that in the other stuff they're interested right. in the cognitive so yeah. yeah this also showcases the value of foundation right and like researching and and and, and justifying like not just like oh yeah this is this is this is going to help your kid with this and this and this we actually you know 
did our we did the dirty the dirty work you know we, we put down the foundation we researches we realized all these things from all these great minds that okay this is actually a groundbreaking thing and then and as and in addition to that you take the pieces that are most relevant to who you're speaking to in order for them to like uh, make sense because again they don't necessarily need to uh, you know, know or understand all pieces of it, but as long as you explain it in terms of their terms where they, okay, this is what you can re relate to. This is the benefits of your audience or like their audience in that sense, you know, that's, that's what matters. And that's going to kind of like build those, uh, you know, synergies and collaborations that make sense to kind of like working on the big picture. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I pulled this slide up because what we're doing now is we used to just be kind of, you know, working with like a football club or, uh, you know, someone. Else. But now I kind of I kind of call our program. We're like the glue. We're the stickiness. Right. They give different organizations the opportunity to work with each other that wouldn't normally probably have things in common with each other. Yeah. But we're connecting everybody. So we're actually almost helping to redesign even the way that physical education is delivered into schools because our football starts at home or soccer starts at home. It's connecting that the PE teachers, physical education teachers, with the lead homeroom teachers and also the, the homes. So there's right. a tremendous feedback loop that's going around. Yeah. So, well, I, I wanted to sort of like, uh, I mean, like, obviously, you know, we're, uh, We've already been kind of like going for like an hour and <laughs> hour and 20 now. And, and I, I was thinking like, you know, just, um, you know, because I mean, like, obviously, you know, there's, there's so much to dig deep into here. And, and I wanted to make sure that people are, you know, um, uh, you know, staying all the way to the end here. And, and I think like, of course, like there, there, there's a lot of great insights and a lot of great, uh, you know, teams. and I'm, I'm getting carried away too. So I'm just like, you know, just bringing in new, things and i want to hear your your perspectives here and like finally just just to sort of like um you know wrap up this the, this you know dialogue and and podcast i wanted to um, just hear like some um just some few key tips for um future future football coaches you know that are interested in going into the coaching route because I think you've been talking with a, about a lot of different things that has not been focused and thought on, and especially, you know, in, in a lot of different countries, a lot of different areas where they're sort of like going, you know, the traditional route of like, you know, the, 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 the football courses, you know, the coaching courses and all this stuff, which, which again, you already said, you know, it's, it's great having that foundation, but if you could give like some key tips now from your experience on like, what are some things that they should focus on if you want to be, you know, working either with youth or you want to work as a professional, you know, football players? What are some of the key things that they need to think about going into this role, going into this industry as coaches? Yep. Great. Question. So that's why I pulled up this slide right here. Awesome. First of all, they have to understand that there's three different kind of levels of, uh, well, there's more, but just for argument's sake. Sure. There's there's the the football starts at home is the pre 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 entry before kids even join okay yep. and and i think the biggest thing we find now is that most coaches need to understand this the impact that, that can be done in their community or in their in their culture yeah competitive team that's when someone crosses over the line and then and then and there's many different levels right different ages right 
we go from sixes all the way up to the professional elite level, right? So right. really it dependent upon, you know, what level that you're going to work at, um, of what level of expertise that you need to have. Now, in the old school, everybody thought that the professional coach, he knew everything, man. He knows everything. He knows grassroots. He knows entry. Yeah. He needs good. Yeah. They, they don't. They don't. Yeah. That's the reality of it, right? Because I can tell you how many people I've been with, you know, without outing any name, some of the biggest clubs in the world or federations where they know very little about young children's d- development. So right. that's one, one thing. So you, as I said before, previously too, you got to know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So don't get into that area if you're not going to be an expert in it. Whatever it is that you are going to go into, become an expert, man. M- make yourself almost indispensable where you, you, you're the guy that knows the most if you can, right? Right. It's always, it, it never happens, but that's the attitude that, that you right. should have, right? Sure. But um, I think that, you know, again, um, if you're starting out coaching, and normally all coaching starts out grassroots, then you get your, your coaching license, you kind of go up, you go up, go up, go up. But there's a big difference. We call this in uh, mindset. There's a big difference to be whether you're performance based or you're development based. And what that mm-hmm. means is performance means you need to win, uh, win at all costs. Right. But most, most youth development coaches should be more about the development side. They don't really care about the winning and the losing. I mean, it's metaphorically, of course, we right. all want to win, right? Sure. But that shouldn't be the pro- priority when you're working with young children. It should yeah. be the development of those players, right? Right. So I would say, you know, and also pick your role models, pick your role models, um, find good mentors, mm-hmm. um, do a lot of volunteering, do a, do a, here's another one, watch a lot of football. We know too now, especially it's more relevant for the women's game, but in countries where um, girls or uh, girls play more than they watch those players. So to get to the chase in America, for example, right? American women's football has, they've, they've won four, four world cup tournaments and four gold, uh, three or four gold medals, I think. Right. In the Olympics, right. right. But now there's a difference. They did, they did not do well in the, uh, they, they got a bronze medal in, the, uh, in this last Olympics. Sure. But that for them was a loss because they've dominated so much. Yeah. What's happening now is in Europe, the European women are starting to dominate. And the reason is not because they're, they've started or they're doing anything too much different. Those are football cultures. So in America, the girls have dominated because many of the European countries haven't taken the women's game so seriously. Mm-hmm. But the reason that they've done this giant jump forward instead of incremental is because they're football cultures. So those women and young girls, whether it's in European countries, many of them, Spain, France, all of them, right? Right. They, they don't just only play, they watch. Right. So they get a much different, they talk about it around the, the dining table because of the influence and the culture on the men's game. So bro, that supercharges development. Mm. So we're finding, we're finding now, because I know some of the top people in the United States that work with the best women's players, they're finding that the European girls are much more tactically aware. They're smarter Mm -hmm. tactically because they watch it. So again, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, find the niche, you know, learn as much as you can, be a sponge, volunteer, watch a lot of football, um, practice coaching. But I guess for on my side, what I'm trying to teach people now too is that understand the impact and the role that the families can have on the children at the entry level. Because, you know, a lot of players, uh, a lot of coaches inherit players 
that aren't technically good. And everybody points the rifles at them. Oh, he's not a good coach because look at his players aren't good. And I and there's a and, and there's a limit to how much a coach can have an impact on a young player. That's for sure. Right. So they inherit those players. They yeah. inherit some really good players. Sometimes they get a little bit too much of the credit. Yeah. But they get a little bit too much of the criticism as well. So it's going right. to be a balance. It balances out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, with that, Tom, I think if you could just, you know, stop the, the screen sharing real quick, we'll just wrap up here with a little bit of a, uh, you know, nice, you know, face, face to face here. Um, yeah, Tom, um, I would like to thank you, you know, so much for uh, this, this pleasant conversation, you know, it's been really insightful. Um, I, I, I mean, like, I, I love, I love all our podcasts, because I, I learn something new, like pretty much every week. So it's, it's just, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so fascinating, you know, to see, you know, what people are doing in the industry. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm so glad that we can, you know, spread this message to a lot of, you know, young and future leaders of the industry. So they can, we can help them find their passion. You know, we can help them find a little bit of like what makes sense to you. And if there's one thing I think people should, should, um, you know, take from, from this episode as well as, you know, learn how to connect the dots. You know, I think, I think that's a very key element. I don't know if you have like any final remarks before we wrap up. No, I think, you know, a couple of the, the, those kind of um, things that I've said, like, you know, try, try not to be the smartest guy in the room, right? Always seek that room where you're going to learn stuff. Right. I always say, you know, um, I was being brought in by, you know, these professors who are brilliant to learn from me but I've always been secretly learning more from them. Right. So yeah. just always have to be searching for that. And then, uh, you know, f f f to find your passion, you need to really find something that you love, that you look forward to doing. And that oftentimes means get out and volunteer, work for free, go, if you want to be the best, you know, uh, uh, tool maker, go volunteer a summer and work uh, for free or for cheap at a, at, a, at a tool place where they make tools. I mean, it's just, it's, it's that simple, right? Yeah. Um, but I think for young people find your role models as well. You want to be the best at something, go find the world-class guy. Who's the best at, you know, whatever it is, whatever right. that is. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I don't think you can go wrong. You, 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 you just stay true and, and learn the, as much of the, fu the fundamentals, right? Right. It's the basics that make you the great players. It's when you watch a football player, right? Especially like a Haran, these kids like unbelievable, right? His first touch is unbelievable. Yeah. So this gives him so much time and space. He looks like he's, you know, completely at a different level because of his first touch. Yeah. His awareness. And, you know, these players that are very good, they have much more time to play with their head up. They can scan, they can look, they can see the killer right. pass. They're looking two steps ahead. Yeah. So, no, but I mean, like, this was a very, um, you know, I, I want to, to dig deep to it, but as like you were talking about Holland as well and then his first touch, and I was seeing a lot of this, like, in especially the national team, because he was like doing so well with like Dortmund and like, you know, just like having that, you know, fast paced plays. And, and now, obviously, you know, obviously you have Martin Odegaard and you have like other great players, but then there are, yeah. you know, players that are in the Norwegian league. It's a complete different pace. So I was seeing like when he, you know, he's, he's, like he was already several steps ahead when that pass was coming. So he was like, you know, like it didn't make sense. You know, at that point he was like, no, but 
you know, it's not fast enough, you know, it's not happening fast enough, you know, to what he was used to. And so that's obviously where it's very interesting as well, like kind of like adapting to, you know, the national team and playing around to like making those those pieces work. And I think that's, uh, you know, even a discussion in itself. And that's one of my favorite national teams to watch. And my boys as well. They love to watch because there's so many great young players on that team. <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm glad to, glad to hear that, that that Norway at least can can bring some joy to 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 the football industry. It, it's not always we 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 have much to brag about in the in, in the football side, but uh, you know it, it's an exciting future now. I think with uh, with this team and uh, a lot of good players coming up. Um, yeah. So, Tom, you know. Once again, you know, thank you so much for staying with us this this evening for you in uh, in in Tokyo. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but we have a little bit of a tradition here in the Sporting Global podcast, and that's uh, that we're we're learning you some Norwegian. We always wrap the video with some Norwegian language, so that's this is like a final final thing. So with every video we do, we always finish with "Vi snakkes," which means "See you later" in Norwegian. Say it again. Vi snakkes. Vi snakkes. Vi snakkes. Snakkes. Vi saknet. Vi saknet. There you go. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank all you right. so much, Tom. We'll, uh, okay. Enjoy your evening and we'll talk very soon, all right? <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Take all care. Right. Thank you, Tom. Okay. Bye-bye.